our Gathered Catholic Podcast with Father Rob Kroll and me, Jim Fellows. Father Rob, how you doing? Hey, good morning, Jim. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, coming up to DeMontreville to preach a retreat tomorrow. Looking forward to that, and I know that we're planning on getting together, which will be fun. So uh, life is Pulled good. Pulled pork and cigars and maybe a little bourbon. Hey, that sounds like a wonderful way to spend an <laughs> evening. <laughs> We actually have a desert day here at the seminary today, so the, the seminarians are completely free until uh, late afternoon, and uh, we end with mass and dinner, but they uh, they have to maintain silence and kind of oh, wow. be by themselves in the desert, but they're, they're... Are they all gathered at your feet right now listening to the podcast? Oh, gosh, I wish that were the case, but no... <laughs> They're out and about praying and maybe recreating, doing whatever they they want to do to make it a fruitful day with the Lord. A fun day. A fun right. day, but a spiritual day, too. Can they play video games? Uh, they're not. That's not really in the spirit of the desert day, no. Well, okay. That's yeah. Fine. But you can be quiet and play a video game. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <clears throat> so b- before we move on, I need to uh, correct myself because, you know, that needs to happen more often. Um, in our last pa- podcast, uh, we were talking about um, the Pope and uh, his declaration that uh, same-sex unions uh, could not be uh, uh, blessed. Uh, blessed. Thank you. I was thinking baptized, but that's just a lack of coffee. Um, but that same-sex unions can't be blessed by, by priests or by clergy. Um, and I was using the example of uh, how that birth control um, is 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 a disordered and 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 and, and you know a grave sin. And I was reminded uh, uh, gently that there are some women that it's not intrinsically evil because there are some women that can that will use birth control um, because of medical issues and need to. So I just needed to put some clarification to that. I didn't mean to uh, throw all women who are using birth control into the same category. Okay. But there's, you know, that's uh, I I was, and it's true. It's there's there's a there's a difference between intrinsically evil acts and acts that uh, can't, and, and all, you know, a lot of acts can promote evil. But uh, um, you know, there's uh, there are genuine uses for birth control pills, and I forgot all about that. Okay, all right. Thanks for the clarification. Well, you know, I just you know sometimes we make mistakes. We do, we do. <clears throat> so, um, so today we're um, we're recording a little early because of the retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, but next week we're wrapping up uh, the the Lent uh, thing uh, with uh, Holy Week, mm-hmm. and uh, you thought it would be a good idea for us to cover uh, the Passion of Christ uh, just in a little bit more detail than maybe people haven't considered before. Yeah, because this coming we're recording this on a Wednesday, and this coming Sunday is called Palm or Passion Sunday, and then. As you mentioned, we'll be getting into Holy Week, and that culminates with uh, the Triduum. Uh, so Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then Easter. And um, and I know that you know we as Catholics hear homilies once in a while about uh, the Passion of Christ, about the crucifixion and its meaning. Uh, usually, it's it's theological and spiritual meaning. It is the cross we proclaim as Christians that saves us and redeems us. Um, but one of the things we wanted to highlight in our podcast today was just to, to kind of focus on more on the physical, medical aspects of Jesus' passion and death, because I don't think a lot of people have ever heard about this, and it can be something that we can actually bring to prayer and meditation. So having an appreciation for the actual physical and mental torture that Jesus experienced can help us uh, to appreciate all the more uh, the incredible love that God shows us in undergoing this extreme experience. So we're just, yeah, we thought today we would kind of walk through um, what Jesus actually underwent. And of course, Jesus wasn't the only victim of this, the Romans uh, would have executed many criminals um, and people they considered to be uh, rebels and so forth. They would have 
uh, undergone the same torturous death. But right. uh, yeah, so that's kind of what we thought we'd do today. All right. Um, so uh, the the first point that uh, you've written up an excellent summary of this whole thing. Um, talking about the health of Jesus before the Passion, obviously this guy's been walking around for a couple of years, and uh, yep. we would assume that he's in pretty good health. Right. You know, think about the time in which Jesus lived. I mean, there were no uh, cars, there were no elevators, uh, people climbed and walked, uh, you know, uh, around, and so he would have, yeah, he would have been probably in very good physical shape. I mean, he was roughly 30 years old, so kind of you know, still pretty much in the prime of his life, and we're not told anything in the Gospels about Jesus um, struggling with any, you know, physical illness or anything like that. So basically, as he begins this whole ordeal, we can assume that he's a healthy, uh, strong uh, 30-year-old man. Right. So uh, what uh, what do you want to cover with uh, um, Gethsemane? I can't. I never can pronounce. Gethsemane, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That place, the <laughs> Garden of the garden. Uh, That Place. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, wait till we get to Golgotha. Let's see if you can pronounce that one. But no, I'm okay with Golgotha. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm Gethsemane. Um, I usually have a problem. <laughs> There's a few words that just escape me. Right, <laughs> we all have them. So. Um, yeah, so, you know, before Jesus actually undergoes any, like, scourging and crucifixion, uh, people will remember that he spent time, first of all, in that garden. Uh, his friends kept falling asleep on him. So here he is uh, with his father, and he's in great anguish. You know, the Gospels make it clear that he's suffering emotionally uh, very much during kind of those 12 hours between 9 p.m., on Thursday and 9 a.m. on Friday. Uh, he's there in the garden overnight. He's praying to his father. And uh, Luke in particular, the Gospel of Luke, mentions uh, that, his, um, that he's sweating and it's like blood. Now, we don't know whether he literally sweated blood or not, but um, doctors tell us that this can actually happen physically to us uh, to a person that's in a very highly emotional state where they're undergoing a lot of mental anguish, that they can experience um, what they call hematidrosis, which, which I guess what happens is that in the sweat glands there are capillaries and those can burst under great stress. And so the blood gets into the glands and then is sweated out. Um, so not a lot of blood loss if that had happened, but nonetheless, it kind of highlights that uh, Jesus already is 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 under how much stress he's going. Yeah, through. I mean exactly. I mean just the amount of and, stress. Right, and we don't get a lot of we don't get a lot of details when we're when we're reading scripture, and and but we, we know that he's sweating blood and that he's stressed, but and that the uh, the disciples are falling asleep, mm-hmm. but but we don't get into a lot of detail, and it's like, well, you know, he's 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 uh, he's worried. And that's about it. But uh, um, Saint Anne Emmerich, Saint Anne Catherine Emmerich. Yep. Or bless. I think she's blessed. I don't think she's quite saint yet. But. She's not. Saint. I thought we said. I thought we decided she was. No, uh, I think she was beatified by John Paul II, but not. She's not oh, actually a saint yet. So blessed, blessed uh, Anne uh, Catherine Emmerich. Mm-hmm. See, there you go. I'm making a mistake. Yeah, again. that's okay. Um, had has written down um, various visions of that she was uh, given um, throughout Jesus's life, and and she talks about witnessing uh, Christ in the garden um, at the beginning of his passion, and uh, uh, it talks about the fact that, um, and we don't know if it's true or not, but it really adds a lot to. Uh, you know, un, un, you know, it's like wow. If this really did happen, that that I could see how this would be stressful. That um, Jesus is um, um, shown all the sins of all the people that he's he's about to save, and is a witness to that. And Satan is making accusi- accusations to him, and he's he's going through that. And then she also talks about, and I think this is beautiful that all all the angels come down. Mm. Uh, to attend to him, and I think she says that, and this is like a space-time continuum thing, and again, nobody has to believe in 
you know, revelations of the saints. Right. Any of the visions. Yeah, these mystical visions aren't, aren't uh, you know, dogmas or anything like that. So. Right. But I think I read that um, all of the people that were saved through the crucifixion uh, come and visit Jesus in, in, a, in a moment and to thank him. Hmm. Like, this whole space-time continuum. Hmm. If, if that's true... That's phenomenal. If it's not true, it doesn't really change anything. Right, right. But it's it's really interesting to read about that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think it's, it's helpful for us, you know, as we get, get into Holy Week to maybe just pause and consider, you know, what Jesus was experiencing already in, in that Garden of Gethsemane. And, of course, you know, he was arrested and taken uh, to various locations as part of this um, trial that he underwent at the hands of the Romans and the Jews. And, um, and you know, scholars estimate that he probably walked between two and three miles. And this is after, a, you know, a sleepless night in the garden, all this right. mental anguish. So by the time, you know, the scourging starts, he's already in pretty rough shape. Uh, not a lot of physical abuse. He was slapped, uh, beaten a little bit during... Uh, these trials, but you know, it's really with the scourging that we get into a more, a much more physical uh, torture. Right. So, uh, what should we cover in uh, the physical aspects of scourging? Yeah. So, we can move into that, and and um, you know, one of the things that might be helpful to know is that again, Jesus not being the only victim of crucifixion, um, the the Romans kind of perfected this form of torture. Um, you know, again, scholars tell us they didn't invent it. It was probably something that came from Persia, but uh, the Romans would have perfected this form, this method of execution. I think you had said, Jim, maybe in our last podcast, that the Romans uh, were experts in both pleasure and pain, right? So, well, I said it in one podcast. Yeah. Was it the last one? I don't know. I thought it might have been, but at some point, I think you you mentioned that. But yeah, the the Romans <laughs> they, had their they perfected the art of, <laughs> right. of pleasuring and, and perfected the art of causing pain. Right, exactly. And so, you know, again, you've got this Roman uh, you know rule, and of course, they don't want to entertain any opposition to their rule, so they come up with this form of execution, which is going to highlight. Uh, you know, just it's going to be a way of deterring anybody from uh, disobeying them. So they're going to make it especially hideous and uh, and dramatic. Um, so flogging was... So, well, just before yeah. you go mm-hmm. into the actual stuff, I kind of want to pause on the fact that there was a culture of people who were ruling the world at that time mm-hmm. um, that I can kind of understand, like, well, this is pleasurable, but wouldn't it be great if we could make it just a tiny bit more pleasurable? That I kind of can, you know, be like, okay, yeah. Um, but the idea that there were people who were like, well, this is really horribly painful, and it's going to kill them, but maybe we can improve upon this. I mean, right. that mindset, mm-hmm. I can't even wrap my head around. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you need to go through your head yeah. um, to sit there and say, well, have I really caused as much pain as I possibly right. can? Right. That's, that's just... That is mind blowing. Well, and as you you say that, I'm thinking back to that movie by Mel Gibson, you know, The Passion of the Christ. And you can really see in the faces and the demeanor of the soldiers who are inflicting this torture, you can see in some of them the just the sadistic nature, you know, that they're that you're right. It's kind of hard for us to imagine people sitting down and kind of planning this out and scheming and then of course carrying it out. But there's yeah, there must have been in some of them a real bloodlust and uh and again um you know i guess now i think about too the whole nazi experience too you know how can people not too long ago you know think about uh just devising uh ways to eliminate an entire race of people i mean yeah some of these some of these evils i think they just escape most normal people's you know ability to comprehend they're so extreme But uh, anyway, so yeah, so this flogging that happened or the scourging apparently was something that really was a legal preliminary to every Roman execution. Um, there were some people that were considered exempt from this, usually women, uh, if, if there were Roman senators or soldiers, so people that were considered of a higher standing. 
you know, they might have been uh, exempt from this flogging, but most Roman, you know, victims of this execution of crucifixion were flogged first. And, um, you know, the, the, the way they did this is they usually took a, a whip-like thing that they call a flagrum or a flagellum, and it was, you know, consisted of some leather strips of leather, and then within those strips they would put something hard and sharp that could, could actually tear the flesh. So right. I've heard that they could have been uh, often sheep bones, pieces of bone, uh, maybe iron balls. I've heard maybe that um, porcelain was used. Maybe they used all of these things. But anyway, they would tie these pieces of something sharp and hard at various intervals of the leather so that, you know, as the whipping would take place, these things would kind of embed themselves in the skin and then as the flogging continued even deeper into the tissue and the muscle. Right. Um, so it's not a pretty sight, you know, and um, and and we're told that you, usually the person, usually the, the man, it was usually men, was uh, first stripped of his clothing. His hands would have been tied to an upright post to keep him in an upright position, and then basically his back and legs uh, were flogged either by one soldier who would kind of alternate positions or by two soldiers who would kind of alternate in this. Um, but again, you know, if we've seen that movie, uh, The Passion of the Christ, it's a pretty graphic de- depiction of what would have taken place. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, um, and it's a powerful movie, but like I... Yeah. Be warned. Know, <laughs> yeah, my wife hasn't seen the movie, and, and I know her... Um, level of ability to see yeah. uh, violent acts. Yeah, yeah. And I don't. When when the movie first came out, my friends were like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go see the movie." I'm like, "All right, hey, who are you going with?" No, I'm just gonna go. It's like, no, I I, I want to go with you because mm-hmm. I don't want you to see this thing all by yourself. Yeah, because it's really, um, you know, it's it's hard to watch. It is. It's really hard to watch, and even though you know it's theater and it's a movie, but man. No, I can and remember I when that, I went, uh, people in, uh, you know, obviously the theater's dark, so you can't really see people, but I could hear people uh, crying. You know, I could hear people right. that were so moved, moved by it that they were weeping. And it's, yeah, it's, it's very dramatic. And it was Pope St. John Paul II who said that this is, upon that scene, like this is how, this must have been how it truly was. Yeah, yeah. Was, mm-hmm. He said something to that effect. I think I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so no, this would be like Holy Week would be a great, a moment in the year to uh, watch it for the first time or to watch it again. I know it's been don't watch it alone a number of years, but yeah, don't watch it alone. It's making me think of when people first saw The Exorcist in the early '70s, and I, you know, you hear stories about people leaving the theater, you know, vomiting, and you know, because the, the the whole portrayal of the exorcism was so real to people. And you know, I think this movie has that kind of kind of visceral. Uh, impact on people. So yes, don't don't go alone. Um, it's one of the few movies that in my life that I did not eat popcorn during because that just no, did not quite can't. seem appropriate. You no, you just can't. Is, no, you just can't. It's, it's not a popcorn and milk duds movie. No, not at all. I remember. I remember going to the only other movie that I can compare this to. I went to because um, I've eaten popcorn during The Exorcist, um, <laughs> but. Um, uh, I went with a buddy to go see Schindler's List. Oh, yeah. And we, and we didn't know much about Schindler's List, but the two of us uh, went together, and um, we were, you know, just we were making stupid jokes before the movie because we didn't know what it was about. And then, and then we watched this movie, and we're both like, you know, we're 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 just uh, absolutely stunned mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. at the and that this is a. A true story, and we like we left the movie theater, and we we're both kind of staring at each other, like, I wish I'd gone with somebody I could give a hug to. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and yeah. this would be in the same category, like, yeah. you know, if if you need a hug after a traumatic event, go watch this movie with someone you love, or you know, watch right. it again with somebody you love. Right, right, right. Yeah. No. For anyway, sure. sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's good. Little little digression there, but. Uh, yeah, so the whole purpose of this flogging or scourging was basically to weaken uh, the victim. Uh, they didn't want to kill them through the scourging, although I'm sure that must have happened sometimes if the uh, person had a particularly weak constitution or if the soldiers were especially 
uh, vigorous in their scourging, it, it probably did cause death. But the idea was not to kill the victim, because that's supposed to happen on the cross, um, but just to weaken them. Um, and depending on how severe the scourging was, that would have determined also whether the person would have survived, you know, a short time on the cross or, or a long time. Um, but uh, anyway, you can imagine, again, if you haven't seen the movie, you, even if you haven't, you can imagine over, you know, a period of whatever, how much time it took to flog the person, you know, as this was repeated, um, just, just kind of their, their, bo- their, their back and legs would have been reduced to kind of this, uh, you know, kind of this ribbon of, of, fle- of you know, bleeding flesh. So it was not, it was right. not pretty. Um, and again, this, this would have resulted in quite a bit of uh, blood loss as well. So that's another reason why the victim would have been, would have been weakened. Um, Along with the scourging itself, there would have been taunting, and again, Mel Gibson's movie kind of brings that out uh, very clearly, that there's, there's mocking and taunting going on. Um, once the scourging was complete, um, the, the Romans would have put some kind of a robe on the person, including Jesus, um, and in Jesus' case, the mocking included a crown of thorns, um, now, these thorns, uh, you know, based on kind of what we know from scholarship, uh, these thorns would have been like an inch and a half to two inches long. And, you know, doctors tell us that the scalp, and we all know this. I can remember as a kid, I, I actually tripped, uh, I, I must have been like four or five years old, I tripped in our garage and cut my head open um, on a, uh, a little gas can that was used to like fill up the, the gas in the lawnmower. And uh, I can remember just kind of screaming, you know, because I was so traumatized by the fact that this head head wound was just gushing blood, you know. So the the scalp has a lot of uh, blood vessels, and so the the thorns going into the scalp, being pressed into the scalp, would have also caused more blood loss. Uh, you remember that they put a a crown on his head. They also put a like a scepter of some kind, a reed or a or a wooden staff in his hand mocking him. We know, of course, he is our king. Um, they mocked him as, you know, as a king of the Jews. They would have spit on him. Uh, so anyway, uh, both the physical and the emotional uh, torture at that point would have been would have been too bad. Can you imagine yourself in the position of one of those people oh. that was thinking that they were doing a good thing? Right, right. Right? Like yeah. this was somebody that in their view... Uh, was blaspheming their belief, right, right, and and but then um, years later, getting converted, yeah, and mm-hmm. being that person who was who was yelling and screaming and spitting on Jesus, right. and oh. then later you, there has to be cases of that. Yeah, there must have been. Yeah, and the remorse that they would have felt. Oh my gosh, been. just uh, the amount of um, guilt that mm-hmm. uh, and shame that you would feel. Sure, I just. You know, and, and 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 you sit there in mass, and you hear the you hear the reading of of or the the Good Friday reading, and and you're just like, you know, no, those those people are horrible people, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't think that was necessarily true for for many of them. The Romans, yeah, the people in the streets, the Jews who were yelling and screaming at them, um, I I think that they I here's how I'll put it, I, if I was living in that time. I can't um, absolutely say that I wouldn't have been one of those people. Correct. So that's a real caution in terms of judging, you know, their right. their hearts. Because yeah, we don't know. We might have been right there with them, especially if we felt that you know somebody had been uh, blaspheming our religion. Right. I mean, religion. Yeah. People get passionate about religion, and rightly so. I mean, it's it's the most important things that we hold dear. And so for somebody like Jesus to be uh, seemingly uh, Blaspheming, yeah, you can understand where if they're pa- if they're kind of whipped up by, you know, by the crowd, uh, you could just go right along with it. So yeah. So anyway, so Jesus at this point obviously is really weak. I mean, not only has he been scourged and flogged and mocked and all that, but you know, you have to remember that he's not given any. There's no evidence that he was given anything to eat or drink. Uh, he's had this sleepless night. So just in general, he's in a very weak state uh, because of all of this abuse that he's undergoing. Um, so he's probably getting, you know, near, I mean, it, I mean, death isn't too far away even at this point. Um, so, yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about maybe the actual, what we might, some of the facts that we know about the actual crucifixion process. 
okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was I was caught off guard there. Um, the, well, the first thing that I like to mention if I'm out speaking about this um, is that scientists have come out and said that there is there is no uh, more painful or stressful way to die mm-hmm. than the crucifixion. Yep. And and uh, and and also, and I was reading this last night. Um, uh, there was one author that was asserting this is the first time I had ever heard this uh, or considered this that this is the most humiliating way um, to be to be put to death. Mm-hmm. So not only is it the most the most painful way in human history, it's the most humiliating yeah. way. And I I read that and I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and part of that is because of the fact that you know the the victim would have been naked, right? And so um, right. we we always want to put a little uh, loincloth on Jesus for decorum purposes, but the reality is he would have been uh, naked, and and that's just one more element of kind of shame and humiliation. So, so just to talk maybe a little bit about the actual cross. Um, you know, we see Jesus sometimes portrayed in art, in artistic representations of the Passion. He's like carrying the entire cross. So, you know, resting on his shoulder is both the, you know, the the vertical and the horizontal bar. But right. um, in reality, probably what happened was <clears throat> the the uh, horizontal part, um, what they call the patibulum, would have been placed on the nape of the victim's neck. So it's kind of across the upper back there, and then his arms would have been tied to that cross or to that bar. So that's right. probably what he was carrying, because the whole cross itself would have been like way too heavy. It might have weighed like 300 pounds. And right. so uh, given how weak the victim was already, there's just like no way physically he could have carried it. So that patibulum or that crossbar... Sure, they tried. Yeah, probably. They point. probably, you know, I bet they learned a lot of this just by... Trial and, trial and error, unfortunately. So yeah. the poor people that you know initially experienced this. Well, maybe they maybe they were mercifully spared because they died yeah. more quickly. I don't know, but but anyway, that that crossbar would have been roughly a hundred pounds, and so we can we can imagine Jesus, you know, kind of stumbling along with this bar uh, on his back, um, you know, his hands tied to it. Um, he's naked. And we know from, you know, from the uh, stations of the cross that Jesus uh, would have fallen. Uh, traditionally, we think of him falling three separate times. You can imagine falling forward uh, while your hands are tied to a wooden bar across your back. You know, there's nothing to brace your fall. So right. you know, he would have just fallen on his chest and face. And then, of course, getting up would have been virtually impossible without help. So right. uh, somebody had to come along, the soldiers, or you know, they might have enlisted people from the crowd to help him get back up again. But with each fall, if there were multiple falls, he would have just been weakened all the more. Um, so, you know, again, maybe in our meditation with this during Holy Week, we, we can take some time to, to see Jesus moving along the way of the cross, um, weakened and falling. And... Um, and then he would have eventually reached outside of the city, the site of execution, and it's there that the uh, the vertical, you know, upright uh, bar would have been placed. Uh, they call that the stipes or stipes. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it's an upright post that was kind of fixed in place. And so the victim would have gotten there, and then it's it's that post to which um, the victim is then you know, like, like placed with the, with the crossbar. Um, <clears throat> there may have been like a little wooden block put, put on that, um, stipes or that, uh, that upright post so that the victim had something to kind of sit on. Um, uh, scholars say that maybe not at the time of Christ, but later on there would have also been a block put at the feet. So the victim's feet could have been supported. So anyway, we're not quite sure about what Jesus experienced there, and we've in 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 the various artistic depictions of Jesus on the cross, you see different uh, elements. Um, but anyway, once once you know the victim is there and he's to be uh, executed, to be crucified, you know they would have used these um, iron spikes. Really, I mean, we we say nails, but they would have been like five to seven inches long. 
maybe three-eighths of an inch across. So these are pretty good-sized uh, spikes, which, of course, if they're going to hold a human body to a cross, you know, they need to be pretty substantial. And, um, you know, you see, you see different, you know, depictions again. Sometimes we think about the, the, the nails or the spikes being put through the hand, but if, if you look at your own hand, you know, and you look at the middle of your hand, it's, it's, uh, it, there's not a lot there to support a body. And so, right. you know, scholars think that if, if, if put through the hand, it really literally would have just torn, torn through it. And so yeah. scholars, you know, say that probably the spike was put through the wrist, which is, you know, kind of considered part of the hand as well. Um, and, and it's through the wrist that then, um, the body weight could have been supported because of the bones and of just the structure of the wrist. But right. one of the things that also we need to, again, entertain, as unpleasant as it is, is that putting a large you know, metal nail or spike through the wrist would have either crushed or severed a, a nerve that goes through there, the median nerve. And this would have felt like bolts of lightning going through the victim's arm. So it just would have right. been severely painful. Um, and then, you know, again, imagine Jesus uh, with those nails through his wrist, and over time they would have caused the hands to kind of uh, contract into almost like a claw-like gesture or grasp mm -hmm. um, as, it, as it impales the ligaments and everything. So very unpleasant. Um, and... Yeah, so then, you know, the, the victim is hanging there on the cross, um, already very weakened, um, and, you know, we can imagine Jesus just kind of gasping for air. Um, you know, the body's hanging there, and it's very hard to breathe, and with each inhalation, you know, the body would have kind of, like, moved up the, the cross. And we have to remember that these, these crossbars are not, like, polished, you know, would I mean oh, they're, they're rough? Yeah. They're very rough, right? And so um, already, when the victim got in Jesus's case, when he got to Golgotha, Golgotha, when he got to Calvary, and that robe was ripped off his shoulders, that would have reopened the wounds because the the robe would have kind of stuck to the to the bloody wound. So so that's ripped off. But then now his back is scraping up and down the you know the uh, the upright post as he's breathing so that's just irritating those wounds from the fl uh, from the flogging all the more and um, so there he is hanging you know trying to breathe uh, so he's gasping for air uh, so the way I'm just gonna interrupt yeah sorry, please yeah um, the the way that it's been described to me um, was that, uh, the 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 position of the body, um, if your knees weren't um, if, if if you weren't pushing up mm -hmm. on the nails, um, the position of the body actually collapses the diaphragm, which doesn't allow you to breathe. Okay, yep, it doesn't give you enough breath to do anything. Right, but but pushing up on the nails in your feet mm -hmm. um, is so excruciating. Right. That you eventually pass out, right, right, and then so you collapse, and then you can't breathe, and then your body, when you can't breathe, wakes you up wow. and forces you to push up against the nails in your feet again mm -hmm, mm -hmm. until the point where you are um, you uh, can't take the pain anymore and you pass, pass out. out. And mm -hmm. this is the you know, yeah, th that's how I was how it was explained yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, no, and it makes sense. I mean, just physiologically, based on what we know, you know, Jesus's body is the same as ours, so we can you know we can know these things through the help of uh, science and medicine, and yeah. So there's like there's like multiple stuff going on, right? I mean, you've got all the mental anguish, but then you've got all this physical torture, blood loss, uh, like you said, the the uh, inability to really breathe properly. And, of course, that builds up carbon monoxide in the blood. And right. so then, you know, Jesus is probably in a pre-shock you know, pre state. And so he's passing out and then, and then being revived. And, I mean, it would have been just awful. And, and thinking about just the muscles, I mean, the cramps that would be going on in the body. Um, you know, though maybe the one small act of mercy in all of this that the Romans provided was, and again, we, we read about this in the Gospels, is a little bit of um, wine mixed with, with myrrh or gall, 
and this would have provided, uh, served as like a mild anal- analgesic, so a little bit of, you know, maybe uh, relief um, for the victim, but obviously very little. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just, again, maybe pausing in the coming days to just ponder what Jesus would have been going on, going through in all of this. And as he's struggling to breathe, you know, and this might be a good podcast sometime too, to talk about the seven last words of Jesus from the cross and yeah. what they mean. But for him to say anything, you know, uh, to speak any words would have been a very heroic effort. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd, you might be right, but I don't know if that was an, an act of mercy uh, from the Romans mm. as much as, um, how can we uh, keep this going a little mm. bit longer? Yeah, perhaps. Right. Yeah, it's hard to imagine any thoughts of mercy <laughs> or compassion. Right. Like, yeah, we, they've set up this this incredible, horrible, painful, humiliating thing, and right. then they're like, "Well, we'll just." Uh, I think, I personally, I think it was just to make it last a little bit longer for their entertainment. Yeah, yeah. No, it's very possible. You know, one of the things in doing research on this whole medical, you know, physical aspect of Jesus' torture, something that I never really considered before uh, until a few years ago when I first looked at at all this stuff and had to teach it to high school students, was uh, the fact that while Jesus is hanging on the cross, you know, completely immobile, unable to do anything, um, you know, this this is in a climate where it's hot, uh, and then, of course, there would be insects that would be drawn uh, to sure. the body the of the blood. victim, right? The blood and the sweat, the smell of all that. Um, you know, as we see, like I'm just thinking now as somebody who lives in Wisconsin, you know, you see animals, cows or other animals out in the field on a hot summer day. And, you know, they're always uh, using their tails uh, to, uh, you know, keep flies away or they're, they're, you know, you can see flies like in their nose and eyes. And again, the victim would have experienced this, you know, insects coming to a burrow or whatever, uh, light upon the open wounds in the victim's eyes, ears, and nose. Uh, it's possible. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. There's no relief that can be given. There might have even been birds of prey that would have come and maybe started tearing at those sites. So again, not a pretty thing to contemplate, but I think it brings home for us um, you know, the great love that God has that he would undergo all of this uh, for, for not just for us as a human race, but for you and for me. And, right. and, and anyway, so, yeah, how long would, a, would Jesus have lived on the cross? I mean, again, it could vary. The victims could, could be alive for a short time, maybe a few hours, uh, or even several days, depending on uh, all that previous torture and the severity of it. Um, in the Gospels, we're told that the soldiers were ready to break Jesus' legs, but then they realized he was already dead. But uh, the breaking of the legs of the victim would have hastened the person's death. So maybe if, you know, if, if the victim had been uh, hanging there for a long time, the soldiers would would break the legs just so they, not again so much out of mercy and compassion, but maybe because no. they, they wanted to free up the cross for another victim, you know? Let's, right. Let's, let's get this, this uh, corpse out of here. Um, so, you know, again, medically, doctors would say there were a lot of different factors at play here in Jesus' death. Uh, you know, the fluid loss, the blood loss, the uh, exhaustion, and, and, and the, literally the suffocation. Uh, probably his heart would have given out at some point. And, and then, you know, the last thing in terms of the details of all this is, is that, that lance or that spear that is shoved into his heart. And that was, uh, again, something that Roman soldiers would have been trained to do to uh, spear the victim, you know, through the right side of the chest, causing a fatal wound if the victim was not already dead. Hmm. Um, In Jesus's case, we're told that blood and water come out of his chest, and and we Mm -hmm. see that in that a symbol of both baptism and Eucharist. Um, But all of that water would have um, built up, you know, in in the cavity because of the inability to breathe and Mm-hmm. And of course, all the any blood that was left. After, it's hard to imagine any blood being left in the body, but um, blood would have come out from that from that spear wound as well. So, so yeah, um, boy, just talking through that, it's it's pretty graphic, and it it's um, again something that we can feel a lot of sorrow and contrition about, but right. also be I think deeply moved by the love that's shown in that in that sacrifice. Well, and right and you know also uh you know the the blessed mother is is there the entire time 
being a witness to that and right. the agony that she's going through. Right. right. There's a, and I, I don't know if I brought this up before, but um, in Medjugorje, there's a bronze uh, statue uh, called the the Risen Christ, and it's not a particularly good looking statue, mm-hmm. but it's big. And um, as several years after it was built, um, at the right knee, um, water started appearing. Huh. And then um, you could. You, my last trip to Medjugorje, I was there in the off season. And, and people would, would line up, and then they would hoist each other up to, to take some of this water um, and, 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 and get a tissue of it and, and then hold that as a, as a sacramental. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I was there in, um, you know, just it was, it was the off season, and I was walking by at about 11 o'clock at night, and nobody was around, and I climbed up. And um, there's, it's not fake. There's no holes. There's no electronics. There's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. You wipe away the water, and more water appears. Now, the what uh, the villagers believe is that these are the tears of Mary. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that are appearing there. Hmm. I wonder if they, I wonder if anybody they must have analyzed it at some point to I, see if it was yeah. like salt water or something. I don't yeah, know. I think I think that that there was saline in the water yeah. and. Um, Wow. So I mean, it's just uh, just to demonstrate that Jesus wasn't the only one who was going through yep. a tremendous amount of pain through this. Moment. Right, it was right. Also, the Blessed Mother that was suffering as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't help but wonder that you know, even more than the physical anguish, just seeing his mother in her anguish and and yeah, the torturous state that she was in, it must have just really caused so much more grief for Jesus. And of course, I think we mentioned it, but I'm not sure that you know, in in all of this. While people came to his help, you know, Simon of Cyrene, and there were, there were some women in Jerusalem that were compassionate and wanted to kind of minister to him, but his closest friends, except for St. John, were all gone. You know, they scattered and basically were nowhere to be found. I mean, when you're undergoing any trial or suffering, you want to have loved ones with you. And right. and so, yes, his mother was there, St. John was there, but, but many of the others were... Um, they all left. They all left, right. So he must have yeah. felt quite abandoned. And then, of course, he, Jesus would have known that his Heavenly Father, in reality, didn't leave him alone. But right. there's that cry, which is part of Psalm, the beginning of Psalm 22, you know, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? So Jesus, just in his in his mental state, must have felt that the Father was absent, and uh, then he would have not had any consolation as he took on the world's sin, you know, because sin is opposed to God. And so even though the Father was right there, Jesus would not have had a you know, a heartfelt experience of that consolation, of that consoling presence of his right. Heavenly Father. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 so one of the things amazing. that um you don't mind I'm just jumping in here. Yeah, yeah, please. One of the things that we look at this and we watch the movie and we go through uh the triduum and and we see, you know, we 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 get impacted by everything that that Christ went through for us. Um and and what a lot of times what we don't consider um would be at the Last Supper, and, and Jesus is there with his, his, uh, his disciples. He's got, this is his last opportunity um, in, you know, prior to his, his glorified form um, to teach them anything. Right. It's, and, and he knows this, and he's sitting there with it, and nobody else knows that what's going to happen, but he knows what's going to happen. And, and um, the, what does he teach them? Uh, what's the most important lesson that he can teach them at the last moment of, of, of his ability to be a rabbi to these people? He says, love one another as I have loved you. Mm-hmm. And we'll hear that at Mass, and we'll be like, oh, that's sweet. I can do that. <laughs> right. What a nice sentiment. Yeah. But this is what he's talking about. Yeah. He's, he's talking about the fact that you need to love one another and 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 do reparations for other people, yeah. even though it's not your reparations yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, to lay down your life for another person. I mean, if not literally, but but in all kinds of small daily sacrifices. I mean, you and Jen know that married people, right. families know that. You know, there's all kinds of 
sacrifice, getting up at three in the morning for a sick child, whatever it might be. And, yeah. you know, if Jesus had just said, love one another, like that would have been so abstract that we could kind right. of like fit that to whatever we think that means. But when he adds those last five words, as I have loved you, then we know that he's talking about, yeah, self-sacrificial love, uh, a self-donating love, and that's often it's very not challenging. similar to how I've loved you or, right. you know, close to how I've loved you. Mm-hmm. It's he's, his last commandment, love one another as I have loved you, which yeah. means that you need to be prepared uh, to go through as much pain and torture and humiliation for those that you love mm-hmm. as I have. Right. Right. Which you know, when we hear that, we should be shaking in our boots. Right, like it's uh, it's 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 a terrifying thought, mm-hmm. and and one that you know we can it when when friends go through and and if you go through a crisis in your life, and it's a major crisis and push has come to shove and everything else has fallen away and you literally have. Um, all you have to do is think about this, whether it's a job loss or a death in the family or somebody's dying or um, you know a, a, some catastrophic event in your family. You will see um, the friends that are going to stick with you and walk through that suffering with you, and you will see a vast majority of the people that you thought you were from, were your friends walk away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. I mean, it just, it really, and, and I don't know, it's, I might be rambling, but, uh, I think it really, uh, you know, when, when people are, people have a really hard time understanding the concept of we need to do reparations for, mm-hmm. um, for just for God, for the offenses towards God, for the yeah. offenses towards the blessed mother, yeah. for the, for the, the. Um, sacrilege you know, uh, towards the Eucharist. Sacrilege towards towards the Eucharist for the 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 abuse done by priests. We yeah. we still need that reparation. Still needs to be done, and 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 we are the ones that need to do it. Right. And and there's there's a um, there there is a responsibility on us because of the fact that Christ said, "I'm going to do reparations for all the crap you've done in your life." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got to turn around and we got to, we got to, we got to do the same. Yeah. No, that's, that's very true. And I think too, you know, that while we have in our Catholic tradition, all of these great martyrs who have shed their blood in imitation of Jesus, uh, most of us are not going to be those kinds of martyrs, but we talk about a white martyrdom instead of a, blo- a red martyrdom, uh, whereby we have to witness to Jesus at whatever cost that brings us. And I think in our Western society today, increasingly, you know, to be a faithful Catholic, uh, faithful to the Church's moral teachings and, and witnessing to Jesus in, in our deeds and our words, it's, it's going to be, you know, bring more and more um, a sense of just ridicule, mockery, being ostracized or marginalized in the culture. So we have to kind of be ready to um, suffer for our beliefs as Catholics, and that's, right. all, that's all part of this, too. And are we willing to step up for something as, as as minor as being mocked at a, you know, at the coffee shop mm-hmm. because of your Catholic beliefs right. in comparison to what Christ has done for us, right. for right. me? Um, it's and that's easy to lose. It's easy to lose perspective on that whole yeah. thing. But I I try to remind myself as much as possible, and mm-hmm. and and uh, there are simple acts that we can do every day to do reparations for. Uh, the the atrocities yeah. that have happened uh, towards God. Indeed. Well, how about we uh, move into uh, stuff we like? All right. Well, what'd you think? That's a pretty good discussion, don't you think? I think it was a very good discussion. I hope uh, I hope people uh, like what we had yeah. to share. Yeah. So I've talked about this and stuff that I like before. I've talked about uh, the Catholic woodworker. Um, I've had a, a rosary that I found. I found them searching through social media, um, through Big Brother, listening to words that I said, and then putting it in my Facebook feed and my Google searches. But uh, I was really happy to find the Catholic Woodworker mm-hmm. and the rosaries that they build. I always have a problem. You know, I mentioned this before. I always have a problem where I'm, I don't know if I'm praying too hard or what I'm doing, but I always break my rosaries. Um, this one, and it's a little bit more expensive, but. Uh, this rosary um, I've had for I think about a year, and it's standing up. It's it's just as good as it was the day that I bought it. Uh-huh. 
Um, and they've uh, they've got a new. The reason I'm bringing this up again is because they have a new custom rosary designer um, on their website that you can build your own rosary um, to to you know any rosary is a good rosary, but if you build one that uh, has a little bit more meaning towards you, like I have a Saint Joseph medallion. Uh-huh. Um, uh, hanging uh, appropriate off, uh, for the year, Saint Joseph. Um, you can have the the medallion uh, where you say the Hail Holy Queen. I've got uh, Saint Michael uh, the Archangel as the, mm-hmm. the medallion there. Um, I have uh, I have the uh, Benedictine mm-hmm. um, uh, medallion in there, and and just it's all these things that have some intrinsic. They're just important to me. But this is a beautiful thing, right. and and if there's somebody that uh, you want to get a gift for, um, I would I would absolutely um, you know send it to this place because this thing ain't gonna break. It's just, and I think it's got a lifetime warranty on it. Okay. So anyway, Saint, um, we'll put a link for the Catholic Woodworker, and uh, that'll be uh, in the description. Wonderful. Want to pray? Let's pray. It's always Let's a good pray. thing to do. In the name of the yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. So Heavenly Father, we again bless you and praise you that we've had an opportunity to reflect on your Son's passion and death this great act of love on our behalf. We ask that as we uh, approach the high holy days of the Easter Triduum, that we might enter into this passion more fully, uh, that we might stay close to you, Jesus, in your suffering, and so that we can rejoice more fully in the joy of your resurrection. Blessed Mother Mary, uh, you teach us so much about how to embrace suffering and to... um, Love it as a way of drawing close to your son and to his sacred heart. So we pray or ask for your prayers and your intercession for us. Um, Just remain close to us as our mother and continue to love us as your sons and daughters. We ask all these many things in Christ's name, and I ask that the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come down upon all of our listeners and remain with them forever. Amen. Amen. Um, I hope you guys are uh, having a, a blessed Holy Week as uh, the end of Lent is uh, upon us. Um, and I hope that uh, we, uh, you know, our discussions have uh, added to that. Mm-hmm. Probably. Anyway, um, have a great week. Uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy your Holy Week, Father. Uh, I'll see you on Sunday. Sounds great. You're looking forward to it. And I, too, want to wish uh, all of our listeners uh, a blessed Holy Week and a joyous Easter. And we'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.